Let's read together, Lord's Day 18 of the Hutterberg Catechism. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ before the eyes of his disciples was taken up from the earth into heaven and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present where his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father, Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends us his spirit as a counter-pledge. By his power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as people, we live our lives on this earth. There are times when we may question the possibility of extraterrestrial life. A lot of science fiction deals with the possibilities of space travel and of life on other planets. For people reading science fiction or watching such movies, most do this for fun. It's an escape from the realities of daily life. So why are people often looking for an escape from the life they're living in the here and now? Well, it's because life on this earth is often hard. We live in a world that is filled with sin that's defiled because of God's curse on our sin. The ground brings up thorns and thistles. Our work is often burdensome and in vain. We live in relationships that are at times difficult and sometimes strained because of sin. We have lives affected by sickness, by hardships, even by death. As we reap the fruit of the fall into sin. As we travel through life, we busy our minds with how to overcome the trials of life. We walk along deep in thought, searching for solutions to the dilemmas we face. We walk along, hands in our pockets, shoulders hunched, often with our eyes down on the ground. It's symbolic of our natural inclination to see the struggles of this life as being problems of this life alone. It's symbolic of how we often live our lives and try to deal with our problems without God. It's natural for our sinful minds to separate earth from heaven, the physical from the spiritual, to forget or ignore the fact that our God involves himself in our daily lives. We often see no link between God and heaven and the questions of daily life. We easily forget the presence of our sovereign God in our lives. 
And yet, beloved, God is directly involved in the bits and pieces of daily life. It's why in the midst of the trials of life, we need to lift our eyes from off of the ground. Why we need to direct them heavenward so that we may focus on Christ, our advocate, seated at the right hand of God, so that we pray to our Heavenly Father through Him, so that we may attain mercy and find help in our time of need. I preach to you the the Word of God under the following theme. Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. We'll consider the richness of Christ's ascension, the benefits of Christ's ascension, and the result of Christ's ascension. Luke describes Christ's ascension into heaven. The disciples were standing with Jesus on a mountain near Bethany. With his hands raised up to bless them, Jesus began to rise from the earth, going up, up, up. Luke explains that as his disciples watched, Jesus was lifted up, And a cloud took him out of their sight. They stood there, looking intently up into the sky, until suddenly two angels stood by them. The angels told them that Jesus had been taken up into heaven, but that he would one day come back in the same way as he had gone up. The disciples may have wondered what all this meant, yet they could have known For the ascension of the Lord Jesus had been foreshadowed for Israel hundreds of times before. It had been foreshadowed ever since the Lord led Israel out of Egypt and dwelt in their midst in the tabernacle. The writer of Hebrews explains this in Hebrews 9. He shows us the great riches of Christ's ascension into heaven. Chapter 9 of Hebrews is not the easiest passage of Scripture to understand. In it, the writer of Hebrews speaks about the earthly tabernacle. It was the tent that the Lord commanded Moses to build. It was a portable sanctuary. It was in the tabernacle that God dwelt. It was how he was present among his people as they traveled through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. The tabernacle consisted of three main parts. It included an outer courtyard. Just inside the door of the outer courtyard was this huge, this huge altar where sacrifices were made for the people's sins. The tabernacle itself was made up of two parts, the holy place in the front and the most holy place in the back. The writer of Hebrews explains that the holy place contained the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. The priests regularly went into this first part of the tabernacle to carry on their ministry. The altar of incense was located just before the veil, leading to the most holy place. Beyond it was the second part of the tabernacle. The writer of Hebrews indicates that beyond the second veil was the part of the tabernacle called the most holy place. From Exodus, we know that the most holy place was exactly 10 cubits in length, 10 cubits in width, and 10 cubits in height. It was a perfect cube. Now, it's important for us to know a little bit more about the most holy place. Its walls were overlaid with pure gold. 
The veil separating the most holy place from the holy place had cherubim embroidered in it with a golden thread. The ark itself and the cherubim on it were also overlaid with gold. It was within the most holy place that God dwelt. This is where the Lord was present among his people. The reason so much care was taken in the construction of the tabernacle was because it was God's dwelling place among his people. The reason why sacrifices were presented and the priests ministered daily was so that our holy God could dwell among his sinful people. Israel's glory was that God dwelt in the midst of her. Do you know what the most holy place symbolized for Israel? It it was, as it were, a little piece of heaven. It was heaven on earth. Here was God's dwelling place on the mercy seat of the ark. Here were cherubim, mighty angels, just like God's throne in heaven is surrounded by countless angels praising and glorifying him. Here was all gold, a reflection of the glory of heaven. Here was a perfect cube, a representation of the perfection that abounds in heaven. The most holy place in the back of their tabernacle was a little piece of heaven on earth. Now the question is, who had access to the most holy place? Who could approach God in his dwelling place? It's the main point that the writer of Hebrews wants us to get to in chapter 9. He makes it clear that the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing their daily services. But, says he, into the second, only the high priest goes. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Here the writer of Hebrews describes how the high priest was allowed to enter the most holy place once each year on the Day of Atonement. As he went, he wore the breastplate with the names of the twelve tribes on it. He went in as a representative of God's covenant people, Israel. He could not enter as he was. He had to take with him blood from the altar of the burnt offering to atone for his and the people's sins. He also took with him incense, symbolizing the people's prayers. So he was allowed to enter the most holy place, this little bit of heaven on earth, once per year. This was so rich. It was so rich because here Israel was taught that man could enter into heaven. That sinful man could come into God's holy presence and have communion with him. It's the opposite of Adam and Eve's banishment from the Garden of Eden. When cherubim were posted at the gate with a flaming sword to keep them away. God desired fellowship with his people. He wanted to dwell in the midst of them, to be their God, and for them to be his people. 
Yet at the same time, beloved, this tabernacle service was extremely poor. For the people themselves had to stay outside in the courtyard. They could not enter God's presence. They couldn't come into this little bit of heaven on earth. There was a distance that remained between them and God. And the high priest, too, could only enter once per year. Not when he wanted to, but on the day stipulated by God. And he could not stay. After sprinkling blood on the mercy seat and putting incense before the Lord, he had to leave again. He had to leave heaven, the presence of God, to return to the brokenness of this earth, to the sweat and tears, the pain and sorrow, the trials and burdens of this sinful life. The tabernacle service was rich in promise, but poor in reality. It was only a symbol of the better things to come. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear that the tabernacle was symbolic. Symbolic of what? Symbolic of Christ's ascension into heaven. It's made clear in Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12. We read, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more per- perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the heavenly places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. What was this most holy place Christ entered? Well, the writer of Hebrews makes that clear in Hebrews 9, 24. He says, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That is what the disciples on the mountain near Bethany saw happening before their very eyes. Jesus ascending from earth into heaven. Jesus fulfilling the annual pilgrimage of the high priest into the most holy place. As the high priest did every year, so the Lord Jesus did when he went up into heaven. Jesus left the community of men to go into the presence of God. But Jesus did not go into the little piece of heaven on earth in the back of the tabernacle. Jesus went into heaven itself. And Jesus did not return from the most holy place after 10 or 20 minutes, as the high priest commonly did. Rather, angels came from heaven, announcing that Jesus had arrived, that he would remain in heaven until he returned one day in glory on the clouds again. There was now a man in heaven in fulfillment to what the Lord had foreshadowed in the high priest's annual journey into the most holy place. It brings us to our second point, and it will consider the benefits of Christ's ascension. Jesus was a real human being like you and me. Because of our sins, there is no way that we could stand in God's holy presence. No way we could enter into heaven. 
Unholy man cannot come before the holy majesty of our righteous God. Isaiah made this clear when appearing before God in a vision. He said, Woe to me, for I am lost. From a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah knew that any sinful human being could not survive coming into the presence of our majestic and holy God. So why could Jesus, as a human being, enter God's presence without being consumed? The writer of Hebrews explains this well. The high priest in the Old Covenant took with him the blood of bulls and goats and sprinkled that in the presence of God in the most holy place. But Jesus came as high priest of the New Covenant. Christ did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Coming into heaven, Jesus offers before the Father the work that he did for sinners on the cross. By appearing before God with his shed blood on record, Jesus reminds the Father unceasingly that our sins have been atoned for. The tabernacle of the Old Covenant spelled out the distance between God and man. There could only be a little bit of heaven on earth, and only because the altar that stood between God and man. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was a fulfillment of the altar. His ascension into heaven makes it clear. The distance between God and man has been bridged. The fact that Jesus may remain in heaven as a human being assures us that the gap between God and us has been made whole. Christ did not ascend into heaven for his own benefit. Remember that the high priest in the Old Covenant went up into the, holy place, into the most holy place with the names of the tribes of Israel on his breastplate. He went as representative of God's people. He served on their behalf, bringing blood before God for them. In the same way, Christ ascended into heaven for our benefit. As Hebrews 9.24 says, Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So how does Christ's ascension benefit us? Christ has opened the way for us to have access to God. Since the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all our sins, we're now free to enter into his presence. So we see that the ascension of Christ has wonderful consequences for us. Christ is the door through which we may enter into communion with God. He told his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As our great high priest has opened the way for us to share in communion with God. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. His point is, 
we may now draw near to God with confidence because Jesus has bridged the gap between God and us. He has reconciled us together. Because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, we can now boldly approach God in worship and prayer. When the high priest of the old covenant entered into the most holy place, he took with him not just the blood of the sacrifices, but also incense. In the old covenant, incense is a symbol of prayer. With his incense, the high priest laid before God the prayers of the people. Now Christ has entered heaven itself, and he brings our prayers before the throne of God. Jesus is our advocate before the Father in heaven. He intercedes for us whenever we pray. Do we make use of this wondrous opportunity God gives us? Do we call on the Lord in prayer, thanking him for his grace and blessings, laying our needs before him? It often happens that we neglect prayer, especially in the times when we most need it. We are earthlings. Often we walk through life with our eyes on the ground. We live as though the connection between earth and heaven was cut. We tend to see the hardships and struggles of this life as being problems of this life alone. It's natural for us to focus our eyes and minds on what we see on this earth and to forget the presence of our sovereign God in our lives. But God is directly involved in the bits and pieces of daily life. That's why in the trials of life we need to lift our eyes off of the ground and direct them heavenward to speak to God openly, freely, boldly. Tell your Father in heaven the concerns of your heart. Share with him the frustrations you face in your work. The sickness that faces you or one of your loved ones. The struggles you have in raising your kids. Tell God about the anxieties that rise up inside of you. The heartache caused by seeing a loved one go astray. The hardships you endure due to the brokenness of this life. Talk to him about the nitty-gritty of life. Praise God for the wonders you see in creation around you. Thank him for the provision he makes for you. Talk with him about the conversation you've had with a friend. Ask him to help you to be supportive and loving toward those he brings into your life. Ask him for wisdom. We need to make an important decision. Pray for strength when facing a difficult task. Continue to implore God for the grace of his spirit upon you. Freely talk with your God, beloved. Communicate with him about the things on your mind. Lay before him the desires of your heart. God wants an open, a warm, a close relationship with us. It's why he sent his son to die for us. It's why Christ ascended into heaven on our behalf. 
God created us to live in perfect harmony with him, to know him and be known by him, to love him and be loved by him, to walk with him and talk with him, just as Adam and Eve did in paradise. The good news of Christ's ascension into heaven is that God has opened the way for us to come into his presence. Through the blood and spirit of Christ, we today may already walk and talk with God, even though we're still living in this sinful world. For Christ's death has broken down the wall of separation between us. His ascension, into, his ascension to the throne at God's right hand assures us God will hear and he will answer our prayers. Brings us to our final point, and we'll consider the result of Christ's ascension. So far, we mainly consider the present benefit of Christ's ascension into heaven. Yet the fact that Jesus has opened the way for us to have access to heaven also has a benefit for the future. Our catechism says we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. This is truly remarkable. With the fall into sin, Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, from the presence of God. Sin created a barrier between holy God and unrighteous man. God could no longer stand to have the crown of his creation appear before him. Yet Christ came and dwelt on this earth as a perfect man. He kept his human nature when he went up into heaven. A true man with a real human body is now seated on the throne at God's right hand. Our flesh is in heaven. As high priest, Christ has opened the way for us to also appear before God. One of the most beautiful passages that speaks about this is John 14. Before he leaves his disciples, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus describes heaven as my Father's house. Through God's grace in Christ, God is not just Jesus' Father. He's also our Father. When Jesus promises us a place in his Father's house, he's promising to take us home. Home is a place of love and safety. Home is a place where we're accepted for who we are, loved despite our weaknesses and shortcomings. Home is where we gather with loved ones, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, children and grandchildren. It's a place where we may retreat when faced with struggles, when we find it hard to cope with life. It's a place where we find peace and comfort and joy, a place where we're secure, where we find rest for our souls. Through his ascension, Christ assures us he's preparing a place for us in eternity. There is a wonderful future in store for all who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We can look forward to a time when sin and all its effects are completely removed, to a time when we may dwell with God in perfect harmony on new heavens and a new earth. Imagine, beloved, having free access to walk and talk with God. 
What a privilege it will be to see him face to face. How wonderful it will be to have our natural corruption washed away. To know God and be known by him without the stain of sin. These are blessings God has promised to all who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Blessings so great we cannot even imagine them. Beloved, are you living your life in the here and now with this eternal perspective? Colossians 3, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not the things that are on earth. It's so easy for us to major in the minors, seeking satisfaction from the riches and pleasures this life offers. There's always a temptation for us to live for ourselves, for what we can get out of this life. Beloved, are you, are the things you are busy with things that draw you away from the Lord? Or are they things that bring you closer to the Lord? Are you using your time and energy, your talents and money just for yourself? Or are you using them in the service of Christ and of his kingdom? Where is your heart? What is it that you truly treasure in life? Is Christ your focus or not? Our great high priest has ascended into heaven to open the way for us to come to God. Already now we can live in intimate fellowship with God walking and talking with him about the things that matter in our lives. We have the promise of going home to be with the Lord, of living with him eternally, to share in Christ and his blessings. We need to focus our hearts heavenward, where Christ is, expecting all good things from him alone. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing. Psalm 142 stands as 1, 4, 5, and 6.